Okay, so fake news, part seven, because everybody knows you can't end a sermon series on part six. It's not complete until we get to seven. And so the title of the message today is the answer to fake news is good news. The answer to fake news is what? Good news. Good news. Everybody like my shirt? Let's just take that little thing away so that the online crowd can bask in the fake news shirt. There we go. These will be on sale after the service, $39.95 each. We only have two, and they're both very sweaty. (laughs) Pastor sweat, though, so it's a blessing. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Fake news. We we, We started this series, and I started this series wearing this shirt because our world is covered in fake news. Uh, And not just fake news, I'm not talking just about politics. I am talking about the spiritual fake news. The spiritual lies that we tend to believe and we get captivated by, that as God's people we need to be aware of and then we need to stand strong in what we know to be true in Christ. So Paul is talking uh, for four chapters to the church in Colossae in the first century He gets to the end of the book. This is the end of the letter. Chapter four is where we are today. And he kind of circles back to what the church is all about. And that's going to be our text today. Chapter four of the book of Colossians, verses two to six. And so let's stand together. Let's read this because this is the theme of the message. This is what we're talking about. These are the passages we're dealing with today. And this is the purpose of the church. So look at it with me, verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul says to the Colossians, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. And there's a lot of chapter four left. We'll deal with that at the end. Um, but this here is where we're going today. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your spirit will speak through your word. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Help us, Lord, to be good news people in a fake news world. We ask that we might see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said a big amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Good news, people, in a fake news world, let us never forget our calling. And I think that this is the first blank I want you to fill in. The number one mistake a church can make is to forget our calling to make the gospel known. The number one, church, the number one mistake a church can make is to forget that God has put us on this planet not to discuss or not to debate politics, not to be nice necessarily, not to just do good works, Not to be woke, but to make Jesus known. If the church stops preaching the gospel, that church slowly begins to die an inevitable death. 
Because it is the gospel, friend, that changes people's lives. It is the message of the cross that people need to hear. They don't need to hear my opinion about matters in this earth. They need to hear about what God has done for them at the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. They need to hear that their sin does not have to have the last word on their life. They need to hear that heaven is a gift that God offers us freely through faith in his son, Jesus. They need to hear that no one comes to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to hear that there is hope no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how messed up your life is, no matter how terrible of a person you may be, no matter how many friends you have lost and how many relationships you have burned, there is hope for you to have peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. That's what our message is, the gospel. And the gospel changes hearts. And when we stop preaching the gospel, we stop changing hearts and we stop seeing people come come to the living word of Jesus. I'm not gonna be your pastor forever. You're not gonna be part of this church forever. Please let us work together to make sure that we keep the gospel of Jesus central to what we do. More and more, <coughs> we need this in our generation, especially. <coughs> Excuse me. In our generation of constant arguing and bickering and yelling at each other, we need good news. Because you wake up in the morning, and I don't know if it's like this for you. I'm sure it is. You wake up in the morning. You ever have one of those days? You wake up in the morning, you just feel like it's going to be a good day. I got good sleep. You get in the shower. You get cleaned up. Brush your teeth. Do your hair. Something magical happens while you're doing your hair. It looks really good. feel like today's going to be a good day. You make the fatal mistake of turning on the television. Yep, 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 yep. News, 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 blah, 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 blah. The world is falling apart tomorrow. And it's like, oh! Right into the heart. Fake news. And you uh, turn that off, and then you get your bowl of cereal, start eating your cereal, and then you swipe up, swipe up, pull down, swipe up the little, little, slot machine motion of your thumb on your magical phone device to find out what else other things are happening with other people. And it's just like, ugh, do they really think that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe they think that. Oh, uh, uh, fake news. Gets into your spirit. You get to work, it doesn't let up. You get to work and you, li- you work with people who have got complaints coming out of their ears, arguments, gossip, slander about other people. Somebody took the job you should have had. Somebody didn't give you the credit that you deserved. Somebody did this, somebody did that. And you're arguing and fighting and fussing and fighting. This is the world that I live in. This is, it's just terrible. People are awful. Just people get into you. The spirit gets into you. It's just fake news. And they come home and you get to with your kids and they come home from school and they're twice as susceptible to fake news as you are. And so they come home and daddy said, or Billy said that and Sally said this and this happened at school and my teacher told me this and I thought we believed that as, ah, oh my gosh, more. And you turn on the television and it happens again. It's like, oh man, more. And sometimes your whole day is just. And if you're not careful, you'll get to the point where you become shrouded, shrouded in the messaging of our generation. Christian, don't let this happen. You are not fake news people. And we've got to remind ourselves, this is why you come to church. This is why you come to church, so that you can help, so that you can let me yell at you for 45 minutes. 
to wake you up to the reality that that is not the real truth. That is not the life. We are not fake news people. And we need to come to church and get a little bit washed clean of that mindset and remind ourselves that we aren't covered in fake news. No, we got to take this stuff off. We are good news people. Come on, somebody. I'm excited about the good news. And I want us to be radically committed. Let me untuck because I have a belly. <laughs> My wife tells me, always untuck your shirt, Tim. radically committed to the good news because fake news is depressing. And I'm not just talking again about politics. I'm talking about the world. I'm just talking about the messaging. Paul says in Colossians 2, it was our theme verse, let no one, let no one, see to it that you let no one take you captive to human philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of this world, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Our hope is Christ. Let the world do and say what it's going to say. Let it argue about all those things that it's arguing about. We are people of hope. We are people of peace because the God who made us has come and rescued us through his son who loves us. But the problem is, the good news is often not heard. And I think that there's a lot of people that avoid church like the plague because so many churches have abandoned the good news for a different message. And I think that a lot of people don't come to church and don't give God a chance because they have never heard the good news. The gospel, it's good news. We've got to be committed to this. And that's what Paul asks for the Colossians. Be committed with me in making the gospel known. Church, that's how he closes the letter. And that's how we're going to close this series. So I got four things that are going to help the gospel be heard. I want you to write them down. Number one, the gospel is heard when God's people pray. This is what Paul says, and this is what I'm telling you. We've got to pray that God will open a door for the gospel. We got to pray about. We got to pray for it to happen. Look at it again in verse two. Continue steadfastly. Underline steadfastly in prayer. Notice that he doesn't say continue steadfastly in Facebook arguments. In prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. And I think about this. This is a short, it's a short distance, Christian, from the mess of your world and society and the arguments and the, and the fussing and the fussing. It's a, it's a short distance from that place to the throne room of heaven. And here's the, here's the distance. This is all you got to do right here. Just bow on your knees and come before your Father in heaven who loves you. This is what the finished work of Jesus accomplished for us so that anyone can come straight before the Father. In Hebrews chapter four says that we can enter into his throne of grace to find mercy and to receive grace to help us in our time of need. There is no sin that can separate you from the love of God because Jesus Christ has come and borne your sin on the cross and buried them in that grave 2,000 years ago. And now you can come freely and boldly into the presence of a Father who loves you. And you can pray to him and he will hear you. Paul says pray because why? Because it'll make you feel better? N no. Because God will hear and will answer your prayers. 
So he gives us three kinds of prayer. I want you to write them down. Number one, thankful prayer. Thankful prayer. Oh, I'm sorry, no, watchful prayer first. Watchful prayer is aware of what God, what's happening in our world and addresses it. Watchful prayer is aware of what's happening in our world. So you keep your eyes open and you pray. You're not ignorant. This is why we don't do empty, ritualistic, repetitive prayers in our church services. You go to some church services, people don't even have to go to church. They can literally recite the church service from beginning to end. We don't do that. We're not about ritualistic, empty-minded, just repeat the words after me prayers because the world is changing and our lives are always facing different challenges and we got to take our challenges and our worries and our concerns and our stresses to God in prayer. I think about how the scriptures tell us don't be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You are one prayer away from the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind in Christ. And I, want, I was just thinking about this. Like, if only we had a trigger system in our brain that the moment worry starts creeping up about something, we instantly pray about it. Wouldn't that be cool? Just have a little warning light. You're worrying about your bills again. Beep, 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 pray. You're worrying about your kids again. Beep, 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 pray. You'll, leave, you'll lead a much more peaceful life if instead of meditating on what might go wrong, you bring your problems to God and let the peace of God come back into your life. Watchful prayer. Be aware. The Bible tells us that prayer is our weapon in a fight in the spiritual realm. This is our weapon. That great passage in Ephesians chapter six where Paul talks about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, he talks about all that. But at the end of that passage he says in Ephesians chapter six, he says pray in the spirit, like don't just put on the defensive armor, pray in the spirit and be offensive in your prayers. Pray at all times and on every occasion, stay alert, there it is again, and be persistent in your prayers because if there's one thing the enemy wants to get you to do, friend, he wants you to get you to stop praying so that you can start worrying. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere and pray for me too, God, that God will give me the right words. Second kind of prayer that Paul asks us to be, to be involved in is thankful prayer. Thankful prayer, uh, we see this throughout the New Testament that prayer is always accompanied by thanksgiving. Why? Because we believe in prayer that God is working even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see it. This is what the scriptures attest to from Genesis to Revelation. We may not see what God is presently doing, but it doesn't mean that he's not presently doing something. And the scripture says in Romans 8:28 that God is working in all things for the good of them that love him. You might not see it. You might go through that trial. You might go through that storm. But it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. He is working for you. And just because you don't see it does not mean you give up praying. There's a scripture in Daniel where Daniel prays and he fasts for 21 days. Nothing happens. And the angel finally comes and says to Daniel, Daniel, I want to let you know something. From the moment that you started praying, I have been fighting and working on your behalf. It's not that we pray and pray and pray and God just sits there and says, okay, keep going. Come on, a little bit more. 
come on, let, no, not, not, not there yet, not there. No, he, as soon as we start praying, what if you had that kind of faith about your prayers? As soon as you start praying, God goes to work and you might not see the work, but it will eventually come to pass. He's working in the unseen realm. That's what the first chapter of the book of Job is. Job gets attacked left, right, and center. The devil takes everything from him. It doesn't mean that God wasn't working in the heavenly realm in what he couldn't see to bring about a testimony of God's goodness in his life. And Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and cast into a pit and sold into slavery and falsely accused of rape and cast into a prison for two years, it doesn't mean that God didn't work through all of that to bring about the good for Joseph's life. And the same can be true for you. See, our faith is based on a cross. The cross was a criminal's, the cross was a governmental executionary device. And before Jesus hung on that cross, the cross was a, thing, uh, was a symbol of fear, of intimidation, of death and despair. But because Jesus hung on that cross for our sins, the cross today stands as a symbol of hope and freedom and peace for the world. God took the devil's best weapon. 2,000 years ago, the devil's best weapon was the cross, an excruciating experience of torture, shame, and disgrace, and death. And God took that tool of death and used it to make it a tool of hope and life. This is the God we serve. He takes the enemy's best weapons, and he turns them into things that he uses for our good. So Paul says, thank God while you pray for me. Notice what he asks them to pray for. Just look with me closely. At the same time, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, if I'm in prison and I'm writing to you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not writing that down. I'm writing, pray that God will open the door of the prison. Amen? How many are with me on that, right? But Paul knows something. He knows that even if these prison doors don't open, God can still open a door for the word. Where the devil shuts a door, God can open a door. And he can work through closed doors in your life to open a door for the testimony of your life to bring other people to Christ. And I want you to understand that this is what happened for Paul. By the way, Paul also knows something theologically. We gotta get into our spirits he says, pray that God will open a door. Do you understand that it is God who opens the doors for the gospel to be heard in people's lives? But he only, he, he only does that as we pray for him to do so. We live in the least Christian area of the nation. New England is always at the top of the list for most unchurched region of America. We win every single year. And people say, oh, it's so hard. Oh, that's a desert wasteland for church plants. It's a desert wasteland for the gospel. No, it's not. We serve a God who is greater than the desert. We serve a God who is stronger than the resistance that we might meet in New England. And over the last three years, every single year, we've had close to 900 people get saved in this church every single year because God can open the doors that no man can shut. And I think about this for you because some of you have family members or friends that are not Christian and you really want them to become Christian and you keep praying the wrong prayer. Listen, you keep praying the wrong prayer. You pray like this. You say, God, I pray that they will open their heart to you. Stop praying that prayer because people can't open their heart to God. Only God can open hearts to him. God opens hearts. There's a passage in Acts chapter 16 where Lydia, this businesswoman, very wealthy, a dealer in purple garments, a very expensive garment in the day. And she meets Paul in Philippi 
in, uh, at the river where all the businessmen would have stopped for lunch and Paul shares with her the message of Jesus and the Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the message. So if you have an unsaved friend, family member, coworker, you desperately want to see them come to Christ, you don't pray that they will open their heart. They can't open their heart. They are powerless to the gospel. Only God can open their heart so that the word can go in and they can hear it and receive it and respond as the gospel does its work. I'm telling you, pray in accordance with what God says. Your prayers will be more effective. But I want you to also understand how God actually answers Paul's prayer that the gospel doors get opened even if his prison doors stay shut. Because he's writing from prison, right? Pray that God will open a door for the word, even in spite of my imprisonment. We know that God answered his prayer two ways. Number one, that while Paul was in prison, he wrote what we call the prison epistles or the prison letters. These letters become books in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and some say First and Second Timothy and Philemon were all written in prison. And so God takes Paul's imprisonment to give him time. See, Paul was an A-type personality. He couldn't stop moving and, and going from city to city and, and witnessing and sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. And so God had to stop this guy to get him to write down some stuff that generations after him would be able to appreciate what God did in him. So God puts him in prison, and he's got a lot of time on his hands in prison, and so he takes the time to write books of the Bible, and he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just writing encouragements to the churches around the world, and those letters are now canonized in our New Testament, and Paul never could have imagined that 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, people in America would be studying those letters and seeing God speak to people's lives through the letters he wrote in prison. I mean, isn't that amazing? We are talking about that letter today. The, the letters from prison where Paul talks about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That was written while he was in prison. How many people has that word encouraged? Or the, another word from the prison epistles, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. That's from Ephesians, written while he was in prison. Or Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Where does the church find this unity? Through a letter written in prison. Some of the greatest texts of the Bible were written while Paul was captured by the Roman army. God can use your closed doors to open doors for his word through your life. Second way that God answers Paul's prayer for the word of God to go forward is the fact that Paul was in prison chained to a Roman centurion. This is how they imprisoned him. He always talks about, I'm in chains. What was he chained to? He was chained to a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was part of the imperial guard that worked for Caesar directly. So now you gotta think about this. This is the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known. And he's chained to a Roman centurion. And it looks like Paul can't go anywhere, but Paul has flipped the script and now that poor Roman centurion can't go anywhere. And you have to think about this. Paul's like, you wanna chain me to your, to your Roman centurions? Okay, I'll just convert them to Christ while they're sitting there. And I have to think that there was Roman centurions, they had guard duty, like, and they would get their schedule in the morning and they would see, like their poor soul would wake up and see, oh my gosh, I've got Paul the apostle duty, oh my gosh. I know what this is going to be. It's all going to be about Jesus today. It's going to be a Jesus day. I wish they would put me with the murderers and the thieves. No, they got to put me with this Christian dude. 
I mean, you just have to think about that. And look, it took root. It took root. Because look what he says in Philippians chapter 1, another letter from prison. Philippians chapter 1, he says, it has become known, verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. How did it become known? Because Paul couldn't shut up about Jesus. And then look at they must have spread the word and gotten saved, some of them. Because look what he says at the end of Philippians 4.22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There were Christians in Caesar's home. Because the guards must have told their families or their bosses, which told their bosses, which led all the way up to Caesar's household. Poor Caesar's trying to rule the world with an iron fist. And his own family are like, no, I still believe Jesus is Lord, not you. Sorry about that. Like, this is how the gospel works. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it changes people's hearts. Even though Paul was chained, his testimony and his opportunities for God to use him were not chained. And the same is true for you. Maybe you feel chained. Chained to your job. Chained to your marriage. Chained to your family. Chained to the situation of your life that you did not want to be chained to. you got to ask God to open your heart, open your eyes, so that you can see the opportunities around you to be God's witness in the place that you are in. God could use the imprisonment in the first century of the Apostle Paul for our benefit still to this day. He can use what you're going through for generations to come. Number three, third kind of prayer is purposeful prayer. He says, pray that in all things the gospel is clear. And that's, that's Paul's prayer. Purposeful prayer that in all things the gospel is clear. Look with me at verse four again. That I may make it clear. Somebody say clear. That I may make the gospel, pray that I may make the gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak. I said earlier, and I want to say it again, the reason why most people avoid church like the plague is because they've never heard the gospel. And if there is one thing that the enemy of our souls wants to distort in the hearts and minds and ears of people, he wants to distort the gospel. And there are many even sitting here today, you don't know the gospel. You think you know the gospel. That's the number one danger right there. You think you know the gospel. You actually are not believing the gospel. You're believing something other than the gospel. So, like, for instance, one of the number one things that people think about the church, about Christianity, they think it's the gospel is do better. The gospel is be a good person. The gospel is try harder to please God. The gospel is stop being naughty. No, that's not the gospel. Do we understand? The gospel is not if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. That's not the gospel, that's karma. Wrong religion. We're Christians, we are announcing the gospel. The gospel is good news. Here's what the gospel is. And by the way, every other religion on the face of the earth believes you do good, you get to heaven. You do bad, you go to hell. That's not Christianity. That's not. That's not the gospel. I say this because America's favorite religion is not Christianity. It is I am a good person religion. How are you getting to heaven? Because I am a good person. Oh, really? Based on what? Based on whose laws? Based on whose judgment? 
All this past week, people were all up in arms about the justice, the judges, the people in the Supreme Court. Got news for you, the Supreme Court is named wrong. It's not the Supreme Court, it's the secondary court because there is a Supreme Court with one judge who will sit on the throne of eternal righteousness and his name is Jesus and that's the court we all stand before. And I'm telling you something, you are gonna stand before that judge one day and what are you gonna say? I went to church, a lot of people go to church. I was a good person based on whose idea of good, because your idea of good as an American is completely different as a Muslim's idea of being good. Whose judgment are you going by? It is not about being good. That is not the gospel. The gospel is no one is good. Not you, not your neighbor, not the guy who's screaming at you right now. No one is good. We've all blown it and God knew it. And God did something to take care of it. And he sent his son who lived a perfect life and died our death on that cross and bore our sins and buried our sins in the grave and rose again to testify to the power that God gave him to be the perfect judge of all the earth. And he has made a way for all who believe in him to come into the throne room of heaven and receive eternal life that no matter how bad you've been or how good you've been, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's the gospel. Let us never forget that. If I could ask you guys a favor, would you circle that verse four? Would you circle it? Because I need you, Waters Church, to do that for me. That you will pray to God on my behalf, Father, keep our pastor clear with the gospel. Because if we stop preaching this, we might as well just close up shop. I got nothing else to say, right? I got a lot more to say in this message, but nothing more to say other than the gospel. <laughs> Number two in your notes. The good news is heard when God's people live it. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Please underline the word toward. Don't run away from them. Walk toward them. And then walk in wisdom. You say, I don't have much wisdom. Simple solution. Ask God for wisdom. James chapter one says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without finding fault. God will give you wisdom. By the way, there are outsiders all around your life. I love the word outsider because the message of Jesus is for outsiders. The message, is Je the message of Jesus is for those who don't feel accepted who aren't on the inside. And so when you go to work, and I want you to think about this, your job is your assignment in the kingdom of God. When you go to work, the people that you work with or school, the people that you go to school with, they are your assignment for you to have an opportunity to live the life God has given you before them and affect their life for the gospel. You're, on you're not just at the job, you're on assignment. Walk toward those outsiders because here's, I know uh, in every spectrum of society, there's insiders and there's outsiders. Look for the outsiders. Look for the outsiders. 
You know, Jesus went for the outsiders. He went for fishermen and tax collectors and publicans and sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, the people that nobody wanted to be around. Jesus went after them. And at your job and at your school, I guarantee you, there's people that nobody wants to be around. You go after them. You love them. You share the love of Jesus in your life with no, the people nobody else pays attention to. Because they're the ones that are going to be open to the gospel. It's the insiders that don't want it. It's the, it's the people who feel like they're good enough. The people that feel like they're special. The people that feel like they've made it. They're the people that are the hardest to reach. Not saying that God can't reach them. But sometimes we want to be so close to the insiders, we ignore the outsiders. And we serve the, the Lord who became the ultimate outsider for us. He went after Zacchaeus, a noted tax collector. He saw Zacchaeus in that tree, and he asked to come over to his house, the outsider. And when he went over to his house, everybody gossiped. I can't believe he's going to Zacchaeus' house. And he went after that woman at the well, five times married, five times divorced. This is the girl that everybody gossiped about around the water cooler. Jesus goes and meets her and loves her to himself, the outsider. Walk in wisdom. Some of you got neighbors nobody talks to. You talk to them. Some of you got friends nobody talks to. You talk to them. Somebody got coworkers that everybody else talks about. You talk to them. And by the way, there are some people you don't want to talk to. And I'm talking about the people who want to do nothing more than just argue. And you know who they are in your life. And some, there's, there's a little thing inside of all of us that we just want to prove that we're right. So we fall for it every time and we get into the argument and the back and forth and nothing ever changes. Ignore those people, please. I give you permission. Jesus said, do not cast your pearls before swine. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. There are some people that just want to take your words and trample them. They just want to argue about creation and evolution, social issues, Brett Kavanaugh. Ignore those topics. You tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's your message. The same Jesus who said, go into all the world and tell everybody, every creature the gospel. He also said that there's going to be some people who don't want to listen. So what you do is you shake off the dust of your feet and you move on because there's someone you might be ignoring because you're obsessed with trying to prove yourself correct to this person who just wants to argue. That was good preaching and you missed it. But nonetheless, we'll move forward. (laughs) That was good preaching. I'm just saying. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, look carefully how you live, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be wise about this. Use the, make the best use of your time. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You're on assignment at that job. Number three, the good news is heard when God's people share it. So I preach on Sunday so that you can preach all week. All right, you can preach all week. All right, now look. Let's just qualify that statement with a couple things. Let your, verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Couple things I wanna take from this passage. Seasoned with salt. Seasoned. Sprinkle it. Don't douse it. You hearing me? You don't have to always talk about everything. How you doing? I'm blessed. Praise God. Hallelujah. (laughs) No. Sprinkle. Don't douse. A little salt goes a long way. Amen? How are you doing? Well, I'm moving along in sanctification through the Lord Jesus Christ who has (laughs) secured my atonement and justification before the throne room of heaven. I'm just waiting for the premillennial kingdom of God 
for the return of Christ and the rapture. Are you ready for the rapture, by the way? Have you got the breastplate of righteousness on your soul? I'm just heading for that judgment seat of Christ, not the great right throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, of course, the judgment seat of Christ is for sinners like you, but I'm going to the judgment seat of Christ and you're going through the right throne judgment. So if you return and repent of your sins, maybe God will have mercy on your soul. No. Sprinkle. A little salt goes a long way. And you just talk about what God has done in your life. You just use the words about what the Lord has done. We, had a guy, we have a guy on staff that when he was in secular work, this is what he would do. He'd have clients all week. He would come to church. He would have clients all week. And he had a strategy. And so whenever he had a client, he'd be working on the client, working with the client, and he would ask a question deliberately. He had a little strategy. He would say, what did you do this weekend? And the client would tell him, well, I went here, I went there, I did this, I did that. How many know where the conversation eventually went? What did you do this weekend? And he would say, I went to church and it was awesome. And he wouldn't just say, I went to church, because anybody could just say, I went to church. Oh, nice, move on. No, it was awesome. See, that's the sprinkle. That's the gracious speech right there. That's the, that's the salt that brings flavor to the conversation. What do you mean it was awesome? What kind of church do you go to? Oh, you, you gotta come to my church. It's an amazing church. We have this thing, da, 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 we're doing this, that, and the other thing. And you have this conversation sprinkled with salt. Like, I just gave you great salt this weekend. You can do that this weekend. What did you do? And when they say, what did you do? You can say, I went to church and my pastor took his shirt off on stage. <laughs> what kind of a sick church do you go to? I know, he's a real mess. Come and see, come and see. <laughs> okay, maybe don't say that. But nonetheless... Here's what else, what else Paul says here. He says, so that you will know how to answer each person. Just write this down. Treat each person individually, not like everybody's the same, because people are different. Some people are going through a hardship, and your words need to be gracious toward them. Some people have a completely different view of the world than you, and you have to be gracious to them. You have to speak with grace. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You can't reflect the fake news diatribes of our culture. You'll get nowhere, and you'll abdicate your opportunity to be a light in a dark place. Don't fall for it. You be the one that has the words coming out of your mouth that are building up. So that everybody works with you. They say, man, you're just always so positive. Why are you always complimenting other people? Why are you always? That's when you have those opportunities to talk about, here's what I know about me. I know who I am in Christ. And I'm telling you, you share the gospel like that. I'll tell you, you become a contagious Christ follower. People will want to follow you as you follow Christ. Lastly, and number four, the good news is heard when God's people work together in it. We are a team, guys. We are a team, Waters Church. So Paul will end the book of Colossians as we are ending the book of Colossians today, and he ends by listing all of his partners, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Justus. He says, these guys are a comfort to me. These are my partners. 